0: the QI chat room. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transition to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. This episode features Jessica Moore, Director of Innovations at Petaluma Health Center, who will talk about the PHASE program. PHASE stands for Preventing Heart Attacks and Strokes Every Day, which is an evidence-based approach that first helped Kaiser Permanente reduce heart disease morbidity by 60% among its members. RCHC has participated in the PHASE program since 2015 with funding from the Kaiser Permanente Northern California Community Benefits Program. In 2020, RCHC will participate in an additional round of PHASE with a new focus on health equity. RCHC participating health centers will measure and report on rates of A1C control among uninsured patients with diabetes. More information on the program can be found on RCHC's website. With that, let's listen in on the conversation.
1: So thanks for joining us today, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Um, and as we know, there is a new round of phase that will be starting in January of 2020 that will go through 2022. And there are a couple of changes to the measures. And we just want to start thinking about how we're going to be engaging our care teams uh, as QI leads. And so we'd love to hear any tips that you have on how you've done that in the past and what you've found to be useful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's a really good opportunity to kind of re-engage around phase because as you mentioned, things are actually different than they were in the past in terms of the population and in terms of treatment algorithms. and you know, I think that before you kind of move forward with a launch, it's really or a relaunch, it's really important to take a minute and um, think about what has been your uh, experience in the past rounds with Phase. Um, what has worked well for your team, and what have some of the challenges been? And kind of think of yourself a little bit as a health coach for the, you know, for the members of the team there and kind of start asking a few questions, do some observation, and find out, um, you know, where people are, where the gaps are, and, um, you know, what they're most engaged with already and build on that, and then also, you know, where the gaps are. So, um, you know, I think a good place to start is kind of, you know, if there hasn't been great adoption of phase in the past to kind of get everybody together and um, you know, make the case a little bit for why phase is important, because I think that when we, if we find that kind of initiatives are stalling or we're having trouble getting buy-in or enthusiasm, sometimes um, people, like, really don't understand what's at stake or there's not really good agreement that the tool or the intervention that we're using is going to make a difference, Um, because I think that, you know, people in the safety net, they, are in the safety net because they really wanna help people and make a difference. And if we can make the case that you know, this is an intervention that makes a significant difference um, and you know, give people the support and the tools that they need to, to do that, then you know, they're, they're more than willing and excited in a lot of cases to, to take that on and to do that. Um, you know, I think another another key thing that's been important in the past um, is thinking about okay, what are where are my champions? Like, where are the people that are really engaged, and how can I leverage their work and their enthusiasm, their background and knowledge um, to really spread to the rest of the organization. Um, I think that, I've seen that be really successful in a lot of different areas. But, um, you know, in kind of finding those pockets where um, people are excited and they can champion the effort is really, really important.
1: Do you have any advice for health centers that have some providers or care teams to other care team staff that might not be as on board with um, algorithms that have been adopted or other things that we're trying to implement?
2: Yeah, so I think it's a really good opportunity to just ask some questions and to just, you know, say maybe initially, especially if it's um, a leader, you know, um, maybe it's a, a very vocal provider or really vocal nurse or MA that, you know, is like, I don't, I don't see why this is this way, or you know, to just like take a minute with them one on one and say, you know, I understand that you have some concerns. Like, I would love to hear about that. Let's let's talk about it, um, because in those in those settings, um, you'll learn a lot. And then, you know, it may be that they they have a really clear, you know, clinical concern, and maybe they want to, you know, show you some other evidence or something. And then that gives you an opportunity to kind of come back and if you're not really well grounded in kind of the clinical evidence, maybe get your, um, you know, if there's a provider champion or your medical director or, you know, if you wanna consult with, me or um, you know some of our clinical leads, we're happy to do that also because um, we've we've come up against that at different times over the course of phase with providers saying you know I don't think that's right you know um, I think we should be doing something different and um, it's really an opportunity to kind of learn where that's coming from and um, you know in some cases for example in the past when we were Um, encouraging as part of phase that everyone with diabetes was on an ACE inhibitor, and then there was actually new evidence that came out that said, you know, actually for people who don't have hypertension and who don't have microalbuminuria, um, it may, you know, it's not really indicated, and so some of our providers were really kind of bringing that forward to us, and so then we looked at that evidence and we're like, you know, I, I think you're right actually. And um, that's kind of what spurred our CHC on to kind of look at the guidelines again and to say like, okay, where are we with these? And um, so I think that, you know, those can be really fruitful conversations, um, but you kind of, you have to know what the resistance is specifically before you can really engage with that provider um, in a mutually beneficial way.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Great, great points. Um, we've seen a bit of a shift from phase in, as far as who leads the program um, pharmacists versus um, RNs. And can you speak to that at all? And is there a certain role that should take the program on more than another?
2: Yeah, so I think that really if phase is going to look different in different. Organizations, depending on what resources you have, I think that there's not one right person to take it on. I think if you have a clinical pharmacist who is engaged in the program, um, that can be a fantastic resource. Um, and I think that there's still a huge role for nursing. And if you have, you know, nurse champions on your teams that can, um, you know, implement this and can um, Work with patients and be that liaison with providers and pharmacy. Um, I think that that also can work. I've really seen it work in in several different ways. I think that, you know, the role of the nurse is really variable across the organizations in RCHC. I've definitely seen that, um, as well as just like how nursing um, is staffed. And so I think that you know, depending on the, really the role at your organization um, and the staffing, both for clinical pharmacists and for nurses, that's really gonna dictate a lot of um, your strategy for moving forward.
1: Great, are there any challenges that you foresee with the, the changes or areas that uh, QI teams might wanna pay particular attention to?
2: Um, so I think that the the changes in um, the diabetes treatment algorithms are um, it's not as simple as it used to be. You know, we're all you know kind of expanding our use of some of these newer oral um, anti-hyperglycemic um, medications, as well as some of the new injectable medications, and um, you know, it's it's not as much of a one size fits all as it once was. Um, which is great, you know, we have a lot more options, but it's also challenging when you're really trying to engage a team in kind of a structured protocol with that. Um, So I think that that's challenging and, you know, just a lot of these medications are still relatively new and um, it's gonna take providers and nurses some time to really feel comfortable, using them, um, you know, some of them are, we, we found that, you know, we can use some programs to get these medications at less cost than we once could, but still a lot of them are expensive. And um, to part of that, part of your treatment plan is, you know, always taking into account, you know, what is the funding source and, um, you know, how can we get patients the best treatment they need, but also like a treatment that they can actually access so um, I think diabetes is, is, you know, an ongoing challenge, um, and the um, the recommendations with aspirin are are really different. I think that that was kind of a question for people for a while with phase, um, and I think the the evidence is finally strong enough um, that it's come out in a really clear recommendation around aspirin. Um, But again, it's not as simple as it once was. So, you know, now the recommendation with aspirin, you know, we, the only people that we're always using it for are people with um, coronary artery disease or symptomatic peripheral arterial disease, stroke, or TIA. And then those folks with type 2 diabetes, um, if they don't have a 10-year cardiovascular risk of greater than 10%, then we're not recommending aspirin, again, which is really different than where we were before. Um, and then there was always, at least at Petaluma, there was always a question about, you know, well, how old do we go? You know, what's the age cutoff? Um, and finally, that's really clear. You know, at age 70, um, you know, with diabetes, even if they have a greater greater than 10%, um, risk, uh, cardiovascular risk, then we want to stop and not start aspirin. So, um, you know, I think that is, again, that's a change. And even if people feel like they're, yep, like we've got phase, I think if you ask them, you know, some of these questions about, you know, treating diabetes and about aspirin and, gets an ACE inhibitor, I think you'd probably come up with a lot of different answers that wouldn't necessarily be in line with the newest guidelines. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to keep up with.
1: Yeah, ever evolving as we keep learning more. You you had mentioned, uh, you know, diabetes and, and A1C being really challenging. That measure has always been really hard to move the needle on. Do you think that the focus um, on health equity and looking at at patients that are uninsured, trying to move, uh, close that gap between um, people that are uninsured and people that have insurance. Do you think that that will um, help or be additionally challenging or any any advice on that?
2: Yeah, I think that um, really highlighting that inequity between, you know, patients who are uninsured with diabetes and patients who have insurance with diabetes. Um, I think it really gives you an opportunity to engage people, staff and providers at health centers, again, who are working in safety net settings because they really believe in, in most cases, they really believe in health justice and equity. And um, I think that giving people that information um, and then, Coming up with some new and innovative ways to really reach those patients um, who may have less access, fewer resources, um, is you know is exciting. Um, it will be it will be challenging, um, but I think that you know sometimes it is the more challenging things that that are more engaging and meaningful.
1: Do you have any tips on? workflows around getting, getting patients from that uninsured bucket over to the insured bucket. That's, as we're working on this new health equity measure, it's certainly about improving A1C control, or, um, but it's also, we want to get those uninsured patients into the, the insured bucket. And so it's kind of multifaceted, the measure, which I think is interesting and something that's a little different than what we've measured in the past. Um, so just any thoughts on, on that
2: piece of it? Yeah, so one thing that we have done at Petaluma is we actually, you know, got our list of patients with diabetes, without insurance, and um, kind of put them on a list for our enrollment counselors to specifically reach out to them to try to get them enrolled in Path to Health um, if they were not eligible for, for Medi-Cal. Um, and, you know, making sure that they knew what that meant and what was available. So I think, like, targeting patients in that way and doing some specific outreach in terms of enrollment and coverage um, can be really helpful. Um, You know, we've also um, talked about, and I've seen done at different places, you know, kind of a a diabetes um, outreach day, you know, where you kind of have have some kind of a carrot, like something that's fun for people, or you know, whether it's you know food from the food bank, or there's going to be like you know a cool Zumba class or movement or something, um, along with some enrollment counselors, folks with information who are able to get them um, signed up and enrolled in coverage, is also you know something that people could consider. I think, any, you know, sometimes when you don't have insurance and you feel like every time you come into the health center, it's going to be a cost for you, it's, it's a barrier. And so, you know, setting up some opportunities where we're getting people in the door where it's free and they're, you know, not going to pay anything, you know, it's an activity um, some way for us to just connect with them. Um, And then sometimes that can open the door to, as you mentioned, you know, coverage and um, more access.
1: How does uh, technology and our uh, Relevant play
2: into that outreach piece of it?
0: Relevant is a data analytics platform where health centers can analyze their health data.
2: I mean, Relevant makes it easier than it's ever been to really see what those um, disparities are and to, you know, slice and dice your population in kind of any way that you want to, you know. So as an individual provider, I'm able to go in and look at, you know, my patients um, with diabetes and what the disparity is among my population of 50, you know, like which, People with diabetes um, are at their A1C goal and which ones aren't and if it makes a difference if they're insured or not. Um, And I think that we can, you know, a, a lot of what I have found over time, you know, my patients who don't have insurance and who have diabetes, they really come in significantly less frequently. So thinking about, you know, how can we reach them outside of a traditional office visit And, you know, are they, can we get them signed up for the portal so that we can at least have some communication um, between visits? We can titrate medication without bringing them in. Um, You know, often they also, you know, are working and they don't want to miss work and it's hard, um, you know, just scheduling to get them in beyond just the cost of the visit. So um, thinking about kind of asynchronous ways for us to communicate and get together um, is really really important and nurses are a key piece of that um, you know I've been working with our team nurse um, with a couple of my patients she's been, just been doing like regular phone calls with them you know because oftentimes we'll make a change in the medication at the at the visit but then I don't see them for six, eight, nine months. And, you know, maybe that medication change made a little bit of a difference, but it wasn't enough to get them to goal. And so, you know, setting up regular check-ins either by phone or by web encounter so that we can see, okay, how are your blood sugars? We able to get the medication, all right, now let's try increasing it, you know, titrating insulin, increasing, um, you know, Victoza, if you're able to get that through patient assistance or through a 340B program. Um, I have some uninsured patients that we've been successful in getting that medication and it's been really, really useful for them. Um, so I think more and more we do have to think about how to reach people outside of those in-person one-on-one office visits even though our payment system like isn't set up for that um you know it's the right thing to do and um you know when you when you look at the number of patients um you know i think it's, we can we can justify that that cost and the you know the risk that we are um, the way that we're reducing their cardiovascular risk and their risk of, you know, early mortality. So. Do you
1: have any plans to use the patient portal or other, you know, maybe a messaging service, other types of outreach through technology, uh, more so as we move into this next round of phase uh, to be able to be in more constant contact with patients?
2: Yeah, I think we're always looking at um, you know what are the technologies that are um, you know culturally appropriate and um, accessible to our patients. Um, we have tried a couple of different things over time, and. Um, like, haven't haven't totally found the, the right solution for our population, um, but it's something that we definitely continue to explore, and I'm always interested to hear what other people are doing as well on that front, because I think more and more, um, you know, people are accessing health in different ways, and they, um, you know, have smartphones and some technology available to them, and how can we um, join with them and, um, you know, work together, again, outside of those traditional office visits. Do you think that there are
1: any opportunities or uh, based on these measure changes, any areas that will health centers really be able to, to make some, some good improvements on or, or changes to workflows based on?
2: Um, so I think that the increased focus from, you know, the traditional phase population, those with Um, ASCVD and type 2 diabetes to actually, you know, expanding and looking at the whole population of patients living with hypertension um, is a real opportunity to kind of reduce the disease burden of ASCVD, right? So we know that a lot of people with hypertension progress to coronary artery disease or they have stroke or TIA or peripheral arterial disease and really thinking more about, you know, how do we get ahead of that and looking at all of these people with hypertension and how can we support them to get to goal Um, And, you know, with a combined focus on, you know, lifestyle changes, um, which we know can be really, really make a really significant difference in their blood pressure. And that's something that I think the whole team can really get engaged with and involved in, you know, if we really see every person that touches the patient as a health coach and able to help them kind of get to the next step, you know, set an action plan, um, or even just get them thinking about it, you know, like, what are some things that, that you're doing that might make your blood pressure go up? If you ask people, most of the time they know, like, they know something that they're doing, whether it's they're smoking, or they're drinking, or they're, you know, not eating well, or they're spending most of the day sitting, or they're really stressed, right? Like, it's a lot of different things, and People usually know. And so then, you know, finding out, like, are you, like, would you like to do something different? You know, do you want to make a change in that? And, like, how can we support you? Let's think about one small thing. What would that look like? goal setting. Uh, Yeah, right, right. And really just thinking about, you know, I think sometimes people can, when they think about health coaching or setting an action plan, it can feel like, oh, my goodness, I don't have time for that or that's like too much, you know, but thinking about like what are the what are the pieces of that, even if it's not like the whole package and we didn't sit down and have, you know, like a 10 minute conversation about everything. Just just like planting seeds along the way. And if everybody on the team is kind of engaged in that, it's, it's going to make a difference.
0: The health coach training RCHC provides health center staff comes from the University of California, San Francisco's Center for Excellence in Primary Care. They describe health coaching as a patient-centered approach to delivering care that helps patients build the knowledge, skills, and confidence required to manage their chronic conditions and improve their health. Anyone can be a health coach to empower patients to play a central role in clinical encounters, and to engage in self-management activities at home, work, and schools, where they spend most of their lives.
2: You know, I think the one other thing that I think it's worth thinking about um, as you look at, you know, how to engage the team is really, you know, how to get this information out in a way that, um, how to get this information out to the whole team in a way that they all kind of can can hear it and understand it and take it on. And so I think that is usually you need a combination of, okay, everybody together kind of getting some of the same information so that, you know, when I'm working with you, medical assistant, and you nurse and you nutritionist, like I know that we all have some shared understanding. We were all in the room and we kind of like all got what that is, but then also some opportunity where, you know, by role, we can have time to like work together with our peers to kind of think more deeply about okay, where does this really impact me the most, and um, you know, do I have the tools and resources that I need to implement this effectively? And if I don't, you know, what do I need, and what does that look like? And as QI leads, really being ready to um, lead that and facilitate that again. Globally, is like the, the big group, everybody together, but then also in these um, smaller groups, um, more role-based so that everybody, you know, feels strong and confident and, um, you know, ready to move forward.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. We really appreciate you joining us and and sharing your thoughts and advice to our QI leads as we move into the next round of FACE. Yeah, thanks again.
0: big thank you to today's presenter, participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room.